Welcome to the Opium Den. I'm Daniel Williams. Well, it's another Thursday night, and I thank everybody that's tuning in tonight. I think we've got a pretty good show for you scheduled up. <clears throat> We're going to talk about the, uh, the recent National Geographic special, Inside LSD. And for those of you who have not uh, watched that, I would uh, recommend highly that you do. We'll talk about it uh, tonight as well as other aspects of LSD. And also we'll talk about the Drug Policy Alliance uh, convention going on, on, going on out in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I would like everybody to, to give us a, a call, uh, call tonight if you're interested in this subject. My phone number is listed right there on the... Uh, on the home page, um, that would be uh, 727-493-2205. So if you have any comments or questions about LSD, um, give us a call. We'd, uh, we'd be glad to put you on the air and hear what you have to say. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I'll start off as I normally do with uh, with a weather report, and uh, it's getting pretty nice down here in Southwest Florida. We're having uh, million dollar weather, as I like to call it. This is the time of the year when all of our mosquitoes leave, but our snowbirds arrive. Roads are getting a little more clogged. But that's a small price to pay for the for the beautiful weather that we're having. Right now, it's about 65 degrees down here in uh, beautiful Benita Springs, Florida. Uh, we've had some nice, nice windy days thanks to a tropical storm Ida as, as she brushed us on the west coast and moved up through the eastern seaboard and it's delivering a tremendous amount of rain up there, but down here it's it's quite beautiful and <clears throat> on a positive note uh, Bahama is is doing doing well no need for her doggy downers but as I talked to you last week uh, she had a hematoma in her right ear and we took her to the vet and opted out for the less invasive procedure of draining the hematoma as opposed to surgically repairing it but alas, the drain did not work, and her ear has uh, filled up again, so we're getting Bahama psyched up for her, her surgery that we'll have here sometime in the, uh, in the next coming weeks. So for all you dog lovers out there, send a little karma Bahama's way and hope that she makes it through the surgery and no longer has to deal with, with hematomas. So like I said, tonight's, tonight's show, uh, we want to talk about that National Geographic special, Inside LSD. And again, I recommend that if you haven't uh, viewed it yet, uh, please do so. You can go and, uh, to the National Geographic website, or if you, can, you just Google National Geographic Inside LSD, it'll bring you to... Uh, to their web page, and there are a variety of methods to uh, download and watch uh, watch the special inside LSD. 
So uh, it was uh, it was a very well balanced, I believe, a very well balanced portrayal of one of the most misunderstood and maligned substances known to man, and uh, one that it must be noted over 20 million Americans have enjoyed using since it first hit the street in 1965. But the uh, the special. Uh, it was. I'm going to give some props to the to the producer and the director. Uh, it was produced and directed by Pamela. I'm going to probably screw her name up, her middle name, but uh, Pamela Caragall Wells, and it was written by Holly Taylor, and narrated by the silver-voiced actor Peter Coyote. And uh, it's it. Like I said, it was a very balanced. Um, a very balanced view of LSD. It, it talked, uh, it spoke of the uh, the creation of, of LSD, the discovery of LSD by by Albert Hoffman, and presented um, presented a, a look at the the recreational um, side of LSD, but uh, perhaps uh, more importantly, it spoke to the medicinal value of LSD. And that's how um, LSD first uh, first uh, came to prominence. Albert Hoffman discovered it back in 1938 uh, as a medical scientist for Sandoz Pharmaceuticals, Sandoz Laboratories there in Switzerland. And uh, he was looking for a uh, respiratory uh, type of drug or a uh, blood coagulant and he worked with uh, lysergic acid. And the 25th uh, synthesis of lysergic acid um, was, um, he, he named, he called LSD-25, and that was lysergic acid diethylamide. And he didn't do anything with it uh, for five years, and then in 1943, Albert was working with it again in his lab and apparently uh, he absorbed it a little bit uh, through his fingertips and experienced uh, the very first LSD uh, trip in, uh, in history. And uh, he was very intrigued by that, and he came to realize that it was um, the LSD that, that uh, created that uh, experience for him. So he, being a scientist, uh, he was very interested in... Uh, uh, replicating the uh, the experience, and three days later, he uh, mixed up what he felt would be a sufficient quantity to uh, to reproduce that experience. He put uh, 250 micrograms, not milligrams, but 250 micrograms um, in a uh, solution of water, and drank it, and. Uh, it was a little more powerful than than Albert uh, expected, and for the first hour or two, uh, he was he was very frightened and uh, thought that he was perhaps going insane. But after after those uh, first two hours and his uh, his fright passed, uh, Albert settled into a fairly comfortable zone and uh, thoroughly enjoyed the experience. Now this wasn't uh, uh, this didn't they didn't go uh, in depth like that in the show, but they did speak to uh, to Albert and uh, and his discovery and uh, 
They did mention that he uh, experienced it uh, accidentally and then intentionally. Although they made it in the in the special, they made it seem like he did the uh, the accident and the on purpose uh, experience all in the same day. But actually, there were three days that separated um, his accidental and then uh, intentional experience with LSD. But um, so they, they they started off with uh, with a with a profile of a. Uh, of a lady LSD uh, dealer, and <laughs> I sure would like to know who she is. But anyway, um, her her method of of sending LSD uh, out to her her friends was uh, she had a vial of, of liquid LSD, and she would put a couple of drops on pieces of candy, gummy bears, and uh, gum drops, and it looked like there were a couple of uh, animal crackers in her. Uh, in her dish as well as it looked like some smarties too but this young uh, this young lady would dose all of these candies these uh, various candies with a couple of drops of LSD and then she would uh, send them out uh, to her friends and and customers now peter uh, peter coyote who was the uh, narrator of uh, of the special mentioned that uh over 20 million Americans have, I think he said 23 million actually, but over 20 million Americans uh, since the uh, the initial outburst of LSD on the uh, on the scene have taken LSD, and I can tell you that uh, the overwhelming majority of those 20 plus million individuals uh, thoroughly enjoyed the experience, and many millions of them uh, continued to uh, to experience the joys and enlightenment uh, they found in LSD. And Peter also said that uh, each year approximately 600,000 uh, new users uh, come to the fore and try LSD for the first time. So there was a, a significant contingent of individuals in the United States. When uh, there's 23 million of them, they tend to be fairly invisible, but that's a pretty large constituency of folks who have had positive experiences with LSD. Now, there's no doubt that uh, there are a number of those individuals that did not have, <clears throat> excuse me, that did not have a positive experience. But that was due mainly or mostly to the fact that these individuals ignored the, uh, the prerequisites of consuming LSD, which are uh, exemplified by the phrase set and setting. And the set referred to, uh, you know, where your mind was at. Um, and it was best that if it was sober and prepared for the experience. <clears throat> Excuse me again. And the setting uh, part was phys where you were physically, physically located, where you actually were and uh, at the time of, of uh, consuming the LSD. And it was very important that that setting was peaceful, tranquil, and safe. You wanted to be in an environment where uh, you could fully experience the effects of LSD and not encounter others who may not understand what your situation was all about and uh, create some, some difficulties there and tend to, 
to move the experience in a uh, in a different manner or in a different uh, different path. So those who uh, experienced bad trips, um, unfortunately, did so by ignoring the the value of set and setting uh, as it comes as it relates to the to the experience. And uh, what was very interesting uh, to me and I'm sure it will be interesting uh, to others, was that uh, medical research has now begun again to determine the medicinal value of LSD. And there was a fellow uh, that they, that, that they uh, had on the, on the program. His name was David Nichols, and he is a uh, Ph.D. professor of pharmacology at Purdue University, and he is one of the few uh, medical scientists who have the permission from the DEA to make and experiment with LSD. And uh, David Nichols is on the uh, on the program. Says he he believes that uh, he makes the world's purest LSD, and he and he said it uh, proudly. And I would imagine that uh, David is making some uh, pretty pure LSD these days. But my friend uh, Nick Sand, who was uh, who was profiled just briefly at the in the opening um, in the opening minutes of the show, uh, Nick uh, was a '60s uh, anthropologist who discovered a knack for chemistry and uh, is, is responsible or was responsible for making tens of millions of uh, doses of LSD uh, and uh, um, <clears throat> he suffered uh, greatly for it. Nick spent uh, eight years in prison as a result of his uh, LSD uh, chemical uh, creations. But um, Nick uh, made in my in my mind and many others, Nick made the the referenced standard for LSD, and, uh, and maybe David Nichols up there at Purdue has has exceeded that. But if he has, not by much. Nick was known for making the purest LSD, and is still considered uh, some of the purest LSD. And that uh, that very pure LSD, uh, he's most renowned for was making uh, orange sunshine. And orange sunshine was 300 micrograms of uh, very pure LSD. And it was the first experience that I had with LSD, which was back in 1970. And uh, I had the, uh, the, uh, the honor and good fortune to meet Nick back in 2006 when we both went to the International LSD Symposium slash 100th birthday party for Albert Hoffman that was held in uh, Basel, Switzerland. So it was a great uh, it was a great moment for me. The whole the whole symposium was great. Obviously, met Albert again, and many other very uh, very uh, fine and uh, influential people in the early days of LSD. And most of them were in there at that time were in their 60s and 70s. Uh, late 70s, some of them, because they were around in the at the very beginning when Albert Hoffman began to and, and Sandoz Pharmaceuticals began to uh, use and ship LSD to psychiatrists and uh, and uh, 
therapist in, in the use for, uh, with their patients. So uh, David Nichols, Purdue University, the professor of pharmacology, is now um, making what he considers the purest LSD um, on the planet. And uh, my hats are off. My hat's off to David because he probably is making some very pure LSD. But I'd like to have an old, I'd like to have a an original hit of Nick's Orange Sunshine next to uh, 300 micrograms of David's LSD and, you know, put them to the test, <laughs> so to speak. But um, <clears throat> anyway, what, uh, what the medical testing that's going on now, both here and in Hanover, Germany, um, one, of the, uh, one of the greatest or most promising uh, areas where LSD can be of uh, medical value is in the study of cluster headaches. Um, there is no, nobody knows exactly uh, what causes a cluster headache, but it is an excruciatingly painful uh, condition that, uh, that millions of people uh, suffer on a far too regular basis. And what they have found uh, over in, in, the, in their studies in, Han in Hanover, Germany, was that they were able to, to develop a, a non-hallucinogenic form of lysergic acid diethylamide, uh, which they called 2-bromo. And they uh, gave uh, this uh, derivative of the uh, uh, psychoactive uh, lysergic acid to six, uh, six sufferers of cluster headaches. And of the six, five um, experienced uh, great relief and uh, they were allowed to, uh, to live a more, a, a, norm, a more normal existence which I think that that, uh, that represents a, uh, a tremendous advancement, or not, not, not so much an advancement, but just a, a re-recognition of the medicinal value uh, that LSD uh, can provide to the world. I'm sure as the studies go on further uh, by David Nichols and those uh, fellows over in Hanover, Germany, we will discover more, more, uses, uh, more uses for LSD. Um, it's, uh, it was, they, they also made the, the point in the special that uh, it may be more than a mere coincidence that at the same time Albert Hoffman was uh, working with and, 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 and seeing the benefits of LSD. At the same time, uh, across the world, uh, scientists were beginning to work with, uh, with, with atoms and uh, creating nuclear power. And it was quite possible that uh, that really wasn't a coincidence. Here we have, on one half, in one half of the world, uh, scientists working on a, on, a, uh, on a weapon that could create great havoc in the world and has created great havoc in the world. And, Al and Albert Hoffman was creating LSD, and they were possibly have the same same type of explosive power as nuclear power, but, uh, but with inside the brain. And uh, so what, uh, what happened in the early days of LSD before it uh, hit the street and Ken Kesey and, and Timothy Leary and the Grateful Dead and the Beatles and T Tom Wolfe and 
just about everybody else that uh, as a reference point for LSD. But uh, by 1965, again, this was before the the real uh, street explosion of the drug, over 2,000 um, LSD articles were published in medical journals. And uh, over 40,000 patients had... Uh, had been given LSD for, for various ailments. So it's important to note that um, way before LSD hit the streets as a, as a popular recreational drug for the mentally well, LSD was held in high promise for those who were mentally ill or suffered uh, various traumas. Uh, one one condition that was found that LSD uh, did not have any value uh, in treating and also and could possibly have been a detriment was uh, schizophrenia. But uh, aside from uh, not being of value to schizophrenics, it was uh, deemed uh, of great value to to others with 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 some trauma. Now, interestingly enough, in the in the special, they. Uh, they talk about many of the uh, legal experiments that were going on uh, prior to the government getting all, getting all tight-assed about LSD and worrying about uh, lost a generation of children experimenting with mind-altering drugs. Uh, one experiment was, uh, or one of many experiments, was a uh, psychologist in, uh, I believe, uh, California, but I could be wrong, but uh, they, uh, they looked at LSD as the ability, as having the ability to, to expand the mind and possibly uh, aid in, uh, in the uh, solving of, of some difficult uh, problems. So uh, one experiment where they took uh, four uh, scientists at the, at, their, at the top of their game and uh, said the only requirement for them in, in participating in this experiment was that they needed to bring to the to the table um, a particular problem that they have uh, they have they were having difficulty in resolving for uh, for at least a, a three week time frame. So it was a a problem that they uh, that they weren't able to, to solve to their satisfaction. And the idea of the experiment was they would all take. Uh, taken hallucinogenic doses of LSD and uh, <clears throat> see and, and go back to work on those problems. And uh, while it was no surprise to me, and it really wasn't a, as great a surprise to them, the four individuals, once they uh, got through the first, uh, first couple of hours of, of intoxication, they went to work on their problems and uh, they were able to solve them. Uh, one uh, was an architect who who uh, during his trip uh, went through uh, the history of architecture. He time traveled in his mind and and saw uh, a very vivid history of architecture and was able to uh, to work through one of his uh, difficult issues. And there were uh, you know furniture builders, furniture designers, uh, abstract uh, chemical uh, abstract equations, mathematical equations were part of the problems. And all, uh, all four of these individuals had positive results. And an interesting uh, side note to that uh, they, they portrayed in the, in the uh, program was that 
at the, at the day that they were having that uh, experiment with, with the uh, with the four uh, with the four folks with problems, that very day a letter came in the mail from the U.S. government that said, effective the moment that you read this letter, all of your LSD experiments are no longer uh, legal. <laughs> so when the, when the, when Rotherman got the got the letter. He's reading the letter, and in the next room, there's four guys tripping their brains out. So he just put the letter in the drawer and said, "Well, maybe I'll maybe we get this letter tomorrow because he wanted to be able to to finish his the experiment." One thing, one uh, one thing the uh, the special did not uh, did not discuss, and I think it's important uh, for us to uh, to know, was that uh, some of our more uh, prominent names in technology, internet technology, experimented with, uh, with LSD and found it to be of great benefit. The original uh, garage geeks that uh, started working on uh, computer, personal computers and the like uh, out in uh, Palo Alto, California, at night these individuals would go up in the hills behind the labs and do uh, large doses of LSD, and uh, they would um, trip in code, I guess would be a, a pedestrian way to say it. So uh, we, we owe uh, quite a bit to LSD uh, with regards to the uh, personal computer industry. Now, these were the original guys. This is before Steve Jobs and before uh, Bill Gates came into uh, came into prominence but it's also important to note that both uh, Bill Gates and uh, Steve Jobs uh, took LSD in their formative years and uh, <laughs> they didn't turn out too badly uh, Steve Jobs says that uh, taking LSD was one of the three most important uh, events in his life and uh, I'm sure that Bill Gates uh, feels the same, although he has not been as as public with his with his uh, experience with with LSD, and that's kind of a, that's kind of a bad thing to a degree. Um, part of the continued misunderstanding of LSD is due primarily to uh, focusing just on the the dark side of LSD, and there have been very few. Uh, positive stories about uh, about the substance, although they're out there, they just haven't uh, reached reached the mainstream as to uh, uh, their popularity and, and knowledge. But I think that is changing. I don't know if if Bill Gates will ever come out and and uh, speak the truth as Steve Jobs has, but it would uh, it would certainly be nice. And the uh, the special there on uh, National Geographic, they also. Uh, discussed how the Army and the CIA uh, researched LSD and gave it to uh, large numbers of their of their underlings uh, to uh, to see if LSD could be a, a truth serum drug. Um, all of the spy networks throughout the world, the holy grail for them would be a drug that they could administer to a captured spy that would force the spy against all of his training to dodge the truth, to just blab it out. But what they found was that 
uh, giving LSD to someone uh, had the opposite effect of mind control. It opened up the mind and uh, did not provide the, the results that the CIA and the Army were looking for. And they, they did show in the, uh, in the National Geographic special, they did show a group of British soldiers under the influence of LSD uh, to see if they could, uh, just, you know, just to see what would happen. And it's pretty, it's pretty funny to watch it because you see these guys in their uniforms and they're carrying their guns and they're just, they're just totally shit-faced. I mean, you look at them in, on the, in the video and they are just goofed out. And obviously it, uh, it didn't work. And they, they did show where this one, they show soldiers laying on the ground laughing and just really hooting it up. And they showed this one soldier who, uh, who decided that uh, he would climb a tree and, and, and try to feed the birds. So uh, the, whole, the, whole, uh, the whole aspect of, of mind control uh, uh, backfired on, the, on governments around the world in, uh, in their search for um, truth serums. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So... Again, I, I, I recommend that everyone listen to uh, or view the National Geographic special Inside LSD. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a segue for me here uh, to move into the, uh, the other subject I wanted to, to speak about tonight. And that was um, the, uh, the uh, drug policy conference going on now uh, for the next couple of days out in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It is sponsored by... Uh, the Drug Policy Alliance, and the executive director is Ethan Nadelman. And uh, why, I, uh, why I want to conflate the two is that uh, the focus of drug policy reform has been uh, on the incremental approach, which is exemplified by uh, medical marijuana. And you all know, and I won't go into it, but you all know that I'm no fan of the incremental approach to uh, drug policy reform and that uh, we may be uh, painting ourselves into a corner, uh, focusing on the incremental approach. But uh, I, I look at the the value of LSD and uh, also the value of MDMA uh, as potential uh, medicines. So I, I'd like to recommend to all of our drug policy reform leaders that if you want to stay uh, with the uh, the medical angle, uh, once you've uh, finished with uh, medical marijuana, and if you want to stay in the uh, medical vein, let's champion the uh, medical value of LSD, and let's champion the medical value of MDMA. Uh, faithful listeners to the show will know that my very first uh, interview, very first show, was with Rick Doblin, who is the founder of uh, MAT, which is a multidisciplinary association uh, study of psychedelics. And uh, we spoke uh, at length in that uh, interview about the uh, medicinal value of MDMA, which everybody knows is, is ecstasy. That's the street name. But methylene dioxymethamphetamine, uh, that's what MDMA stands for. And Rick's, uh, Rick's outfit is, is conducting uh, clinical trials in, uh, in, in uh, Israel and Switzerland, and I think soon to be uh, in Jordan, uh, as well, and they're conducting uh, clinical trials on the efficacy of MDMA in treating post-traumatic stress disorder. 
And if there's any part of the world that's uh, susceptible to trauma traumatic stress disorders, that would be uh, the Middle East. And uh, Rick's group is having uh, better than expected success in using MDMA to treat uh, post-traumatic stress disorders and other uh, mental traumas. So to all my friends out in Albuquerque, New Mexico, I know you're not listening. I know you're doing uh, more important things, and I don't say that facetiously. You are uh, working hard, even if I think you're going in the wrong direction, but you are working hard. So uh, let's, let's, look at the, let's look at the values that these other drugs, uh, LSD and MDMA, which have far more um, frightful reputations in, uh, in society than marijuana. I think marijuana is pretty much, um, I don't want to say a given, but it's pretty much understood that uh, uh, its, its effects are, are relatively harmless for the overwhelming majority of, of folks who, uh, who consume cannabis. But LSD and MDMA are, are, are different, uh, are horses of different colors, I guess we could say. And the, the fright and the suspicion that society holds for these two drugs are uh, far more uh, far more rigid than they hold on uh, marijuana. So to, uh, to Ethan Nadelman and all of the folks out there in Albuquerque, New Mexico, let's take a look at, uh, if we, if we want to go on the medical route and, and, and stay on that path, then let's talk about uh, legitimizing LSD and MDMA for, uh, for medical research as well. So... Um, Give us a call if you're out there listening, tuning in. Uh, give us a call uh, if you're a Skyper and want to call in via Skype. Uh, my Skype ID is the New Libertarian. So um, give us a call and we'll put you on the show. We'd love to hear what you what you think about uh, the pros and cons of LSD, and we'll even take a shot at uh, the pros and cons of medical marijuana being the proper strategy to move the drug debate forward. As I mentioned in my, uh, my uh, uh, Facebook and Twitter uh, outburst tonight with, regard, with regards to the show, uh, we may have a, a, special, a special friend calling in. His name is Mark McLeod. And I first met Mark uh, again in Basel, Switzerland at the International LSD Symposium which was the, uh, also the 100th birthday party for my friend Albert Hoffman. And Mark is the world's foremost collector and most knowledgeable person on uh, blotter acid artwork. And there was a, uh, a, a pretty, uh, pretty good-sized display there in Basel of all the, uh, of all the blotter acid um, artwork that was prevalent back in the, in the early days. Now, of course, uh, all of the artwork was artwork only. It wasn't dosed. Of course, nobody would have known if it was or not. But uh, it was some of the most uh, interesting and intricate and beautiful artwork uh, that, you would, uh, that you would expect to see from, uh, from those very um, prolific uh, and artistic times. But Mark might be calling in. Uh, 
it's around 9:30 here. It's 6:30 out in California, where where Mark is, uh, where Mark lives now, and we're hoping that Mark gives us a call. I spoke to him earlier, and he said that uh, he would try to give us a call, but he couldn't. Uh, he couldn't be certain of it. But at the minimum, he said that uh, he'd be more than glad to come on the show and uh, do a full-length interview uh, for all of our listeners out there with regards to his knowledge of the history of LSD. So if you're out there, Mark, uh, find your phone, give us a call. If not, uh, it was great speaking with you again today, and I'm sure we'll talk uh, again in the, in the near future and get you on the show and have you talk, talk to us about the the heady days of, of LSD and how all the uh, the blotter artwork uh, came into play. Um, step back a minute here and uh, and talk about a couple more things about uh, about LSD. Uh, more so, I guess, about uh, Albert Hoffman than than the drug itself. Uh, many of you know that uh, I had the good fortune and good luck. Uh, to uh, to meet Albert Hoffman, uh, my wife and I were in uh, in Europe in back in 2003, uh, attending a wedding of a of a young man that we uh, we came to know here in the States, a young German kid, and uh, we made uh, we made you know a pretty a long trip out of it. Uh, we went to Germany, we went to um, um, Amsterdam, and uh, also we went to Switzerland, and we went to Switzerland with the express purpose, with the express express purpose, excuse me, of uh, finding Albert Hoffman. At, at that time, uh, I had been in correspondence with Albert. I hadn't spoken with him, but we were had been in correspondence. I sent him uh, the uh, the LSD chapter of my book, The Naked Truth About Drugs hoping that he would uh, review it and correct any errors or uh, misunderstandings that I might have about his particular history and the history of, of LSD. And uh, I was surprised that, uh, that he was still alive, actually. I started writing the book in uh, mm, 2000 and, uh, 2002, and... Uh, in my research, I found out that he was he was still alive. So through an intermediary, I was able to get in contact with uh, with Dr. Hoffman, and I sent him uh, a copy of, of my uh, LSD chapter, along with a book that uh, that Albert wrote in 1979 called LSD: My Problem Child. There was only one one pressing of the hardback back then, and I I traced one down. And uh, found it in a, uh, uh, you know, an antique bookstore, collectible bookstore. And it cost me a couple hundred bucks to buy it, but it was uh, money well spent. So I sent that, uh, sent my, sent that book uh, for him to uh, to sign for me, if he would, and also to review my my chapter on LSD. And uh, much to my uh, delight and surprise, um, I received back from Albert. Uh, the book, obviously, that he signed for me, and a very nice note uh, regarding my uh, my LSD chapter. And uh, for those of you who have my book, uh, if you look at the inside back jacket, uh, you'll see that Albert um, wrote a nice little blurb um, about my book. He felt that my LSD chapter extract is what he called it. He felt that my uh, 
my take on LSD was, uh, was, was excellent. So that made me feel, uh, feel pretty good. So when we went to, uh, when we went to Europe in, uh, in 2003, uh, we went to Switzerland, and it was a lot easier than I anticipated to, to get in contact with, uh, with Albert. And I uh, called him on the phone, actually. And uh, we spoke, and uh, I, I begged him. I'll, I'll be honest, I begged him. I begged to have him uh, to let me come out. And uh, all I wanted to do was just uh, shake his hand and thank him for, uh, for his discovery and how, uh, how it changed my life in such a positive way and continues to, to uh, impact my, my worldview. So I got Albert on the phone, and it wasn't going that well, <laughs> trying to get him to let me come out to talk to him, to meet him, and to just shake his hand. And I said, literally, that's all I really wanted to do. Five minutes, I just wanted to, to meet him, shake his hand, and, uh, and thank him for his contribution to, uh, to the enlightenment of the, of the world. And uh, Albert says, well, you know, he remembered me from the book and everything. He said, well, you said, you know, Daniel, I'm, I'm 97 years old, and, you know, you don't have an appointment. It's kind of like spur of the moment, and you, you're thanking me on the phone, and, 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 you know, shouldn't that be enough? I said, well... <laughs> I guess it could be enough, but I, you know, I, I again said how much I wanted to uh, to come and, and thank him for all that he has done. And I said, you know, I said, you know, we won't stay long. And uh, Albert, on the other end of the phone, goes, "We? How many of you are there?" And I said, "Well, I said it's just me and my wife, Albert. But if you want, I'll make her stay in the cab while I come up to the house and talk to you." And that was, that was uh, he laughed, and that's what uh, convinced him that, uh, well, maybe I, I wasn't just uh, some crazy idiot that wanted to stalk the, uh, uh, one of the greatest medical scientists of the, of the 20th century. So he said, he said, you come out, and, uh, you know, you can visit. I'll give you a half an hour, and, you know, you can thank me, and then uh, that'll be good. And I said, well, that's great. So we had to, you know, there was like, it was almost like some kind of, I don't want to say secret society, but... Albert was 97 years old. He, his wife Anita was 94. Uh, they lived in uh, outside of Basel in, in Rittemont, uh, Switzerland, kind of out in the country a little bit. He was on 50 acres of, of beautiful land, and you could see the French Alps uh, from his backyard. So I had to call his particular chauffeur uh, group that uh, that took care that took care of he and uh, he and Anita whenever they needed to go anywhere. He had one uh, one limousine service that uh, took care of all that, so I had to call them and you know set up and meet at a certain place at a certain time, and we were able to Melissa and I were able to to make that happen, and we were picked up by his limousine and the driver. He was putting us through the third degree, and you know because they were very protective of Albert, and uh, and I understood that, and uh, we drove up to we finally got to Albert and, and Anita's home, and we drove up in the cab. It was more like a limousine cab, and the cab driver uh, he had decided that we were we were okay, but uh, he took us up. He walked us up to the door, and, and when Anita answered the door, he made sure that uh, we were expected and that it was okay to to drop us off and come back and uh, pick us up later. So we walked into the house. Uh, Anita uh, Hoffman, uh, Albert's wife, she was about four foot nothing. But she was, uh, you know, very nicely dressed and very warm, uh, very warm lady. And we walked into the house and entered the uh, the main 
main living area. And uh, there was nobody there but Anita. And her English wasn't as, as good as Albert's, but she said, uh, you know, please come in. She was very, very gracious. So we walked in and stood there and said inside uh, Albert's living room. It was a, it was a very nice home. It wasn't, wasn't grand or ostentatious, but it was a very warm, inviting uh, home. And you could tell that there had been uh, decades of love uh, inside the walls there. So we're standing there trying to make small talk with Anita and went out from a, from a door that led off the living room up to the, to the elevated library behind the living room. Out, uh, out came Albert. And uh, he was a, he, he was about five foot nothing, so he was a, he was a small man, but he wasn't frail, and he was ninety seven years old. I must re, I must reiterate, but uh, he he looked like he was eighty, and uh, he talked like he was sixty. He was just uh, sharp as a tack, but he was walking uh, with uh, these metal crutches. He had recently had a, had a uh, hip hip surgery. And it had gone wrong, and they had to do it again. So he was still uh, convalescing, but he greeted us, and uh, I got to tell you, I just, you know, I just lit up. It was, it was, uh, it was just uh, an almost an indescribable experience to to meet him. And you know, I shook his hand. I got that out of the way right, right off the bat. Introduced my wife Melissa, and you know, he asked us to sit down, and and we did. And we started talking, and you know the minutes turned to hours, and the hours turned into a, a very long, a very long afternoon with with Albert and and Anita. In fact, Anita was sitting on the on the sofa, and they brought out these little, you know, small hot pizza pieces and cookies and the like. And she, it was it was very gracious. And uh, <laughs> Anita, I guess she'd probably heard all this before, so she was sitting on the sofa and. And went to sleep. <laughs> fell asleep sitting up on the sofa, which was, which was, which I thought we, we thought that was very cute. But we spent about six hours with Albert, and we talked about everything uh, that you can possibly think about. We talked about LSD, the the controversies. Uh, we talked about God. We talked about war. Uh, we talked about uh, uh, any number of things. And of course, my fantasy uh, on the way out, taking the different trams and buses to get to our designated location to be picked up by the by the chauffeur my fantasy of course was how you know wouldn't it be great to do some some Hoffman acid so in the back of my mind I'm thinking you know hope against hope that that maybe Albert would uh, would, would share some of his stash if you know what I mean but uh, that was not to be but uh, what did happen which I thought was uh, was very cool was that Albert um, Albert uh, made his own uh, plum schnapps, and there on his property he grew the plums and harvested. He did everything but the distillation and the bottling. And he asked me, he goes, "But you know, I'd, I'd like you to to taste my plum schnapps. We'll we'll toast our our friendship." And I'm thinking, this is great, you know. I don't drink. <laughs> Here I am, I'm sitting down with the, with the man who discovered LSD and. Uh, he wants me to drink some of his plum schnapps. So I figured, what the hell, man? Like you, nobody, I, you know, I certainly wasn't about to turn down a drink with uh, with Albert Hoffman. So he, he brings out a bottle of the schnapps. And it's, and it's beautiful. It's got a great uh, got a great label. He drew the label and everything. It was it was a nice thing. And my my uh, my limited experience with schnapps was that it was kind of a it had the viscosity of of oil. It was you know kind of thick and uh, peppermint. I'd had peppermint schnapps before. So I thought, okay, I, I, I can deal with this. So Albert pours my wife and I, uh, you know, a 
a pretty pretty healthy glass of this uh, plum schnapps and, and poured himself one. And we lifted our glasses and toasted our friendship and and uh, my wife and I took a sip of it and I <laughs> it tasted like gasoline. You know, I'm sorry, Albert, <laughs> if you if you're up there listening, I'm sorry, man. I didn't tell you I didn't tell you back then because I just didn't have the heart or the courage. But it, it tasted terrible. It absolutely tasted like gasoline. My wife took one sip and looked at me, and I looked at her, and she was like, <laughs> I could read it in her eyes. And she, and she likes them. She's a drinker, and I'm not. You know, I could just tell that she was not going to uh, to finish this uh, glass of schnapps. So, uh, you know, we sat there, and over the, over, the next, over the course of the next hour, you know, he finished his glass, I finished my glass, and I also finished Melissa's glass. And it was just uh, it was just one of those giggle type of moments. Here I am sitting down with the with the man who discovered LSD, <laughs> and I'm copping a booze buzz with him. But it worked out very well, and we spent uh, gosh almost six hours there. And it was actually Melissa and I who finally said, you know, Albert, uh, you know, this has been a wonderful afternoon, and you know, you're only going to give us a half an hour. And we've been, we've been here, you know, almost six, and I tell you, it's, it's kind of getting dark out. And, we really ought to go. And he really, I don't think he wanted us to go. Uh, we were having such a good time and, and it was just a, a, a wonderful experience. And um, so uh, I told my wife, I said, you know, honey, I said, nobody, nobody's going to believe, uh, believe it, believe us that we met, uh, that we met Albert Hoffman. So I told her, I said, my plan was if, if Albert uh, didn't mind, I wanted to get my picture taken with him. We'd each get our picture taken with him, so we'd have some photographic proof that we uh, we met uh, the man who discovered LSD. So we went out on the back porch, and he was showing us his uh, his property, and we were looking at the French Alps, and it was just it was a beautiful day, even though it was in October. It wasn't that, that cold, and we're standing on his patio, and he said, "Sure, no problem." He would uh, he would take some pictures. So I told Melissa in the, in the in the limousine riding up, I said, listen, if we get the chance to take this picture, I'm going to tell Albert that you're going to take the picture on the count of three. But when I say two, that's when I want you to take the picture because I'm going to lean in and I'm going to give Albert a kiss on the cheek. And uh, <laughs> sure as shit, that it worked out that way. And we're standing there and I got my arm around him. He's got his arm around me and he's smiling. And I say, okay, on three, Albert. I go, one, two... And I leaned in and kissed him on the cheek, and Missy took the picture, and it's uh, it's a great picture. It's an absolutely killer picture, and his eyes are as big as saucers, and he was surprised that uh, that I leaned in to kiss him. And uh, <laughs> every time I, I walk by that picture a hundred times a day, and I look at it, and uh, it just brings a brings a smile to to my face. And there was a picture of Melissa and Albert uh, together, and um, one of the interesting things. Uh, I mean, the, the day was just uh, beyond description. But one of the interesting uh, things, my wife, uh, to her credit, because I was stupefied and just totally in awe, and had I forgot to ask this question, I would have never forgiven myself. But Melissa remembered to ask it, and she she looked at Albert. We were standing out there. You know, he was talking about his property, and Melissa, and Melissa looked at him and says, she goes, uh, Mr. Hoffman, uh, when was the last time you took, out, took any LSD? And that was the, you know, that was the money shot. You know, I was like, way to go, Missy, you sweet thing. I knew I married you for a number of good reasons, and this is one of them. And uh, he looked, uh, he looked at Melissa, and a kind of, kind of, little smile came on his face, and a little twinkle in his eye. And he said, uh, he said, three years ago, which would have made him ninety-four, 
He goes, three years ago, I, I took a trace amount and, and, and walked around my property. And as he said, walked around my property, his arm, you know, it was a sweeping gesture of his property. So Albert Hoffman uh, was taking LSD uh, at 94. And uh, although I can't, I can't say this with absolute uh, conviction, I do believe on his 100th birthday there in uh, Basel, Switzerland at his 100th birthday party, he, uh, he probably consumed a little bit more to, to celebrate his 100th birthday. And um, what I'd like to finish off uh, this before we, we get in, I guess, I, guess Mark, <laughs> I guess the green monster got a hold of Mark and uh, he wasn't able to give us a call or call in tonight, but we'll get, we'll get back with, uh, with Mark. But I would like to uh, close out this, uh, this show on LSD with a uh, direct quote from Albert Hoffman's book, LSD, My Problem Child. It is the, uh, the final paragraph in the book. And uh, this is what Albert had to say. I, ooh, somebody just did something. Where's the, <laughs> Doug, where's the pick? It's, 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 it's on my, it's, it, the pick is on my, uh, is in the bookcase in the, in the living room. But uh, thanks for asking, Doug. <laughs> Doug, he's a fellow that uh, that I uh, that I talk to on a regular basis at the uh, cigar shop. But anyway, back to uh, back to finishing up uh, on Albert. And again, this is the final paragraph in Albert Hoffman's book LSD: My Problem Child. And this is it. <clears throat> I see the true importance of LSD in the possibility of providing material aid to meditation aimed at the mystical experience of a deeper, comprehensive reality. Such a use accords entirely with the essence and working character of LSD as a sacred drug. So, I don't know what, uh, what you think about LSD, but when you have the man who discovered it and was at the forefront of all of its bright spots and dark spots. He believes that LSD is a, uh, a sacred drug, and I believe it is a sacred drug as well. And, you know, we <clears throat> here inside the Opium Den, we don't recommend that anybody do drugs, not because we have to give that silly disclaimer. It's just that, you know, who in the hell is sitting around waiting for Daniel Williams to tell him it's, it's okay to go ahead and do drugs? But I'll tell you what, um, LSD, <clears throat> if you have the opportunity, and if you do it in a proper set and setting, uh, <laughs> wait a minute, I got another one on Twitter. Scan the pick. <laughs> we want to see it. Well, I got some people out there listening. I hear you people listening. Give, give me a goddamn call. <laughs> you know, help me out of this. But anyway, yeah, we'll we'll make sure we scan the pick and uh, and, and put it out there. But uh, if you have the opportunity to uh, to come across some uh, some verifiable LSD and you have the time to uh, set uh, to, to they have the time to observe set and setting. I think LSD is a is a wonderful drug, and when I was uh, sitting there with Albert in his home, I said I said uh, I said Albert if uh, if LSD were to become uh, legal and, and a prescribed drug, uh, what would you recommend? Uh, uh, what would you recommend as the proper uh, the proper utilization of LSD um, as a 
as a drug, as a medicine. And he said, he said, Daniel, he said, uh, I think that uh, you should take LSD in your early life, in your in your 20s for the first time, then take it again uh, in midlife to see how uh, how you've lived the, your life in regards to uh, the LSD experience. And then uh, in the latter years, uh, take LSD again to reflect upon your life and to uh, allow your mind the the graciousness of a worldview that um, is probably more important than any than any other uh, aspect of your life. So Albert Hoffman recommended from a proactive medicinal value that LSD should be taken early in life, middle in life, and and towards the end to uh, to give you a full full perspective of of what. Uh, of what the proper worldview would be like. So for all you out there, I'm going to recommend LSD because I think it is a, it is a uh, tremendously powerful, very spiritual, very enlightening substance. And if, uh, if consumed in the, uh, in the proper set and setting, it will, uh, it will change your life. It will impact it in the most positive way imaginable. And, uh, I've been doing it for 40 years, so what the hell? If I, I, I can still string a couple of sentences together. So uh, LSD, it is a, uh, it is a wonder drug. And uh, hopefully, as the, the medical research continues, we will be able to, uh, as a society, experience the, the full benefits of the, uh, of the great power that uh, lysergic acid, uh, diethylamide, Will, will provide us. So there we have it. That's, uh, that's our show tonight. I want to thank Randall, Randall Miller and uh, Doug Mullins for uh, Skype tweeting me. They didn't, they didn't uh, call in. We would love to speak to either one of them. And uh, Mark McLeod, if you're out there listening, uh, it was great, great speaking with you again today. And uh, we'll get you on the air here and, and uh, let everybody know what it was like back in the, uh, for you back in the, uh, the early days. Mark's a little bit younger than I am. He's 55, but, uh, he's, uh, he's an intrepid tripper. And again, his, uh, his collection of blotter artwork is, uh, is spectacular. So we'll get Mark on, uh, we'll get Mark on the show soon. And, uh, Randall, if you're, uh, if you're still listening, when I finish up the show, I'm going to hang on, uh, Hang on the line if you want to want to give me a call. I'd uh, I'd love uh, talking to you again. So um, here we are at the end of the at the end of the hour. It went went pretty quickly. So I want to thank everybody for uh, for tuning in this evening. And again, check out that National Geographic special, Inside LSD. It's very informative, and uh, I think. Uh, what you don't know about LSD, you'll come away with uh, with much better information. So we're going to close out the show tonight as we always do with the the Opium Den motto, and that is, when good people obey bad law, bad law never changes. Good night. <laughs>